Good morning, everybody. Oh. <clears throat> Hear the word of the Lord from Mark three thirty-one through 35. His mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him and told him, Look, your mother, your brothers, and your sisters are outside asking for you. He replied to them, Who are my mother and my brothers? Looking at those sitting in a circle around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. This is the word of the Lord. Straight through books of the Bible. So we're in the book of Mark, and this is the next passage that's up. Um, <clears throat> you have to forgive me, I'm still getting over a little cold, so if I do something, <clears throat> that's why. I'm sorry, but I can't do nothing about it. So it is what it is. All right, so uh, I um, was watching this, this YouTube video last week. I'm actually about to go get my water, so I'm going to still talk. So. I was watching this YouTube video this week, and it was a YouTube video about friendship and about how uh, in our modern world, uh, friendship, the concept of friendship, have seen to be lost. Um, it, it's this, this concept of, um, so I read this, this book this by C.S. Lewis, it's called The Four Loves. He talks about there's, there's different types of love uh, that exist in the world. So he talks about like uh, the one that in our culture is that the top priority is the, the erotic or the romantic love, right? But he says that's not the only type of love there is. There, there is a, a, a friendship kind of love that that back in the day, the ancients said that actually this was one of the highest forms of love. That, that the love of friendship, the, the love that, that, that actually is, is when you're shoulder to shoulder with somebody looking at something and you go, you like that too? Oh, let's talk about that thing. And as you talk about that thing or do that hobby or that practice, there's a camaraderie that builds that's meaningful. And, and what's interesting is I feel that in our culture, we see the breakdown of institutions and this e epidemic of loneliness. We're the most technologically advanced culture that ever existed and the most depressed. It's an interesting combination. We have all these ways to connect with people, but we're lonely. So we feel that loss. And even that, let's just be real, even on the familial level, we feel disconnect with our family. Some of us come from broken families. We feel a loss on that level as well. Now, that's really bad news, but there's some good news that we can get from the scripture this morning. Is that Jesus brings us into a new spiritual family. Jesus looks at us in our loneliness and our feelings of alienation. And he brings us into a new spiritual family that we are to love and serve. So let's ask for his help. Lord, I want us to understand your word desperately. I want us to, to understand what you're saying to us this morning. And so would you give us ears to hear? And would you give us hearts that are ready to obey? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so for verse 31 
it says that his mother, his is Jesus, Jesus' mother. His mother and his brothers came, standing outside, they sent word to him and called to him. Now we need to remember what happened a couple of verses beforehand. A couple of verses beforehand, Jesus was encountering some hard times. He was encountering some hardships and ministry. And if you remember, one of the things that happened is that his mother and his brothers came to him and said, you are insane. We need to lock you up. So that happened like a couple of verses ago. So when, when it says that they're calling for him, they're not calling for him to give him a hug. Okay? So they're like, let's hang out today. Jesus, get your behind out here. Like, that's how they're feeling. They said, Jesus, you're out here doing ministry. It's kind of crazy. It looks chaotic. You, little, you need to come on somewhere, Jesus. You, you tripping. Come on back home. So that's what's happening. See, see earlier, Jesus, Moses, and brothers tried to call him insane and lock him up. Because he was doing what God wanted him to do, but it didn't look pretty. It didn't look successful on the outside. So they said, well, if it's not looking pretty and it's not looking successful, this must not be what you're supposed to do. So why don't you come on back home, Jesus? What's interesting is this, is that those close to you may try to call you away from your God-given task. So what are you to do? You have to test what you're hearing from others against the means that God gives us to discern his will. And y'all, this is one of the questions that I get the most as a pastor. What does God want me to do? Now, usually when somebody's asking that question, it's like they have a really specific question behind the question. I got a fork in the road. Well, which way should I, should I take? I'm like, hold up, I ain't God now. Pause. But there are some means to discern what God wants us to do. Means number one, the simplest one, is that we know the scriptures. In the scriptures, Jesus gives us some ethics to live by. And so some decisions I don't have to necessarily pray about. I can look back and say, well, what is the ethic of Jesus telling me? So if I'm at the store and I don't have a lot of money, but I want that item, I don't have to say, God, do you want me to steal it? I, the Bible's clear. <laughs> or let's, let's, let's make it even more real. Let's say, let's say someone's having a, a, a disagreement with their spouse. God, she was mean to me today. Do you want me to get another one? <laughs> now, you don't got to pray that question. That's, not, that's, that's clear in the Bible. All right? Those, that's one of the Ten Commandments. All right? Okay. So, so number one, know the scriptures. Number two, we got to look at God's providence. What, like, like where, if you can look, where is God guiding you and what are your actual options, right? This is the one I use a lot. So, Onus Schwarzenegger, you know, he's, he's, I guess he was the governor at some point, but here's the deal. It's not going to be God's will for him to be the president. Why? Because he wasn't born here. It's not a possibility. Now, if he says God told him, well, cool, but you don't, the rules say you can't do it. So you look at the providence, like what, is, what are your actual options? What's in the, the realm of possibility? And then you look to your spiritual community. You have people in the church that love you and that will pray for you. So when I'm making major decisions, I'm looking in the word of God. I'm look, looking at God's providence. And I'm asking people who love me, like, hey, this is what I think I should do. What do you think? Am I missing something? Is there a piece that I don't, I don't understand? And lastly, you look for the promptings of the Holy Spirit that, that God gives you 
his Holy Spirit to give you guidance that comes from the inside. Like, here's the deal. In our culture, most people want to put that last one at the beginning. And they want to say, well, I feel like God told me to do it. Now, yeah, people have done some crazy stuff about that, right? People have done some real crazy stuff. There's a reason I put that one at the, at the end. If the Holy Spirit is telling you to do something that God's word says you shouldn't do, that's not the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit wrote, wrote the Bible. Okay? So, so, so Jesus is, is encountering this opposition from those close to him. And here's the craziest thing, is we can look at Jesus' life and know that he is following these guidelines for discerning the voice of the Father. We know that Jesus was obeying Scripture. We know that because the Bible says he never sinned. That means he looked at the ethics and said, I'm going to do it. So we know that he understood and he obeyed the scriptures. We know that God providentially is at work in the passage beforehand. Jesus is doing ministry and people are getting healed and demons are getting cast out. Like God is, is, is attesting, look, look, something that is supernatural is happening. I'm showing you this is the way to go. And not only did he look at God's providence, Jesus had a spiritual community of disciples around him. Or saying, man, look, look, look at what's happening. Look at what God is doing through you. And we know that Jesus followed the leadings of the Spirit. Now, here's the deal. His mother and his brothers are coming and saying, you're not doing what's right. You're not following God. And, and Jesus has to use these tools of discernment to figure out what's right or not. Here's the interesting thing. We could use that, those same tools of discernment, and we could see that Mary, his mother, actually knew what he was doing was from God. He disobeyed it anyway. Listen, listen. Mary had an angel come to her and speak the word of God to her. Something like, y'all, like, what do you do? I mean, really nice if the angel would come talk to me. Like, like an angel come, came and spoke the word of God. Hey, you are going to have the son of God. Was God's providence in it? Well, she was pregnant and was not married and, and had, not, uh, had not done what you need to do to, to get pregnant. What about, what about people around her? When Jesus was born, there was these people named Simeon and Anna, and they came and prophesied and said, your son is the son of God, and he will do great works. What's interesting is she felt this social pressure because what he was doing wasn't looking real good to everybody else. And so she was tempted to compromise doing what God had already told her to do. And the same is true of us. We will have temptations that, that will tempt us away from doing what we know we ought to do. That God has given us some clear direction and we might face some opposition from those who are close to us. But if God has been clear in his word, has been clear in his providence, has been clear through your spiritual community, and has been clear through the Holy Spirit guiding you, then you have to stand firm and endure and follow him anyway. Matter of fact, you have to learn to endure hardship to fulfill any of the purposes of God. That's the secret ingredient that, that the popular preachers don't want to tell you. That, that, that if you are going to accomplish what God wants in your life, that you will have to endure hardship. And, and if you don't know that, you might be trying to do something good and you encounter some problems and you're like, well, how does God even want me to do the thing? 
But if you have your eyes wide open, particularly to the scriptures, it would not catch you by surprise if something that encounters that's pushing against you, that's making you have to endure. Hebrews 6, 12, it says, it says to, to, to us, you will be imitators of those who inherit promises through faith and perseverance. How do you inherit promises? How do you receive the promises of God? By believing and what? Persevering. We see Jesus himself having to do that in this passage. Now, here's interesting. In verse 32, we see that Jesus expects his people to transcend traditional modes of allegiance. Look at verse 32. A crowd was sitting around him and told him, look, your mother, your brothers, your sisters are outside asking for you. Now, we've got to put on our cultural glasses for a minute. See, Jesus is from an Eastern culture where you cannot disrespect your family publicly. It is not okay. Like, if your mom or dad tells you to do something in public, you are going to do it. I used to live in an Eastern culture for a while. And that was a big thing. Like, I, I have to bring honor to my family. If I don't bring honor to my family, then I am a failure. Listen, listen. You see, so, so the people around him are going, Jesus, your mama is outside. She said, come over there. It's your mama. Now, we don't understand that because we, like, we love individualism. But remember, Jesus is not from America. So, so he feels this pressure. And the crowd is saying, listen, your mom is out there. Are you going to honor her? Are you going to respect her or not? See, every culture puts pressure on you to keep allegiances based on some sort of commonality. And here's the deal. That's not necessarily a bad thing. God puts you in a particular family, in a particular city, in a particular friend group to bless them. Right? We all have allegiances, and these allegiances in themselves are not bad. God puts you in these particular relationships, in that particular geographical location, so that you will be a blessing. Yet, what do you do when your allegiances challenge your allegiance with God? That's the question. So if you were born into a criminal family, there's going to come a point where you have to betray that allegiance to obey God's commands. Or maybe you have allegiance to a particular political party. But what if that party challenges your conscience? You're going to have to make a decision on well, whose allegiance should I follow? What if your friends, your best friends, are telling you to do something that's the opposite of what God would want you to do? You have to challenge that allegiance. See, our foremost allegiance must be to God. When we have conflicting allegiances pulling and, and, and call, trying to get us come this way and that, we have to choose Jesus when we have conflicting allegiances. One of my favorite examples is, is one of Jesus' disciples, Apostle Peter. He's, he's preaching about Jesus, and, and his religious community doesn't like it. And his religious community calls him in, and he says, I am commanding you not to talk about Jesus. And he said, we must obey God rather than men. So there comes a time. Now, now listen, and any other thing, like if, if, if some authority tells you to do something and it's not outside of the realms of, like, the scriptures, cool, you should do it. But, but listen, when there is a rub between what someone, some friend, some allegiance, some authority is telling you and what Jesus would tell you, you have to choose Jesus. 
What's interesting is, is that idea is the foundation of civil disobedience. So, so what's going on in the civil rights movement? They're saying, God, God has told me to treat my neighbor, regardless of their skin color, as my brother and my sister. And the laws at the time, the authority at the time, the allegiance at the time said, no, you can't do that. But some people, listen, a lot of them motivated by the teachings of Jesus said, I'm not going to listen to that authority. So I'm going to sit on a bus by who I want to sit with. And I'm going to eat with who I want to eat with. And do whatever you want to do. I am going to follow what Jesus has told me. Listen, there are going to be times in your life that hasn't happened yet. Get your mind right. It is. Well, you will have to make hard decisions between those who are close to you, those who are in authority of you, and those who have your allegiance, and between what Jesus wants you to do. And you have to set your mind before it happens about what you will do. And we get to verse 33 and 34, that Jesus creates a new family with himself at the center. He replied to them, this is Jesus, who are my mother and my brothers? Looking at those sitting in a circle around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. See, Jesus creates a new community of love and support. So, So listen, God created, this is a crazy thing, everything that exists in all creation exists to show you something about God. Everything, right? Why is there such a thing as a father? So that when God says, I am like a father, you will go, oh, that's what that is. Everything in creation. Why does marriage exist? So that when Jesus says, I love you like a groom loves his bride, you have a concept and a category and go, oh, that's what that's for. Listen, the family, God created it so, that, so for, for your protection, for, for, for your love, for your support, and for a sense of identity. Sometimes that get rocks, that, that rocks with our natural family. Sometimes we don't always have that. But Jesus in his grace provides another avenue. That I'm going to provide us a family centered around me and my teachings that will be provided for your love, for your protection, for your support, and for your identity. Those who join and follow Jesus are his family. It's a family whose father is God and whose ethics and culture are outlined by the teachings of Jesus. Now, you know when you go to somebody's family, you, 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 go, you go eat with somebody's family, you can, it's different in your family. And sometimes you can't tell, you can't like put it into words, right? It just feels different. There's a, cult, there's a different culture. It's a different, there's different values. You, you can kind of, when you step in the, the house, you're like, it's a little different. You might like it, you might not. I don't know. But you can just tell. And Jesus said, I want a family that's culture reflects my teachings. And y'all need to understand Jesus' teachings are outrageous to those who have never heard them. So I have this, this, this privilege of, of uh, I teach a Bible study uh, at Carolina High School on Friday mornings. And a lot of these, these students, they've never been to church before. They haven't heard a lot of biblical teachings. And so I was teaching them what Jesus said about enemies. And I said, Jesus said that you ought to love your enemies and forgive them and bless them and pray for them. If y'all could see the way they were looking at me, like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever taught it. Like, like, why in the world would you do that? Like, they're just looking at me like, that's, that's really, listen, listen, Jesus calls us to embody that type of culture. A culture that loves those who do wrong to them. A culture that prays for those who curse them. 
that's the type of culture and ethic that the church ought to have. And y'all need to know that the church, that's the new family of God. What binds you to your family is, is your blood. What, what binds you to this family is that this family is, is about following God as Jesus revealed we ought to. The church is meant to be a place of belonging. The church is meant to be a place that feels like home. So I make it my practice when I'm on vacation or when I have to preach somewhere else, I usually go to church. Because Jesus said to go to church. I want to follow what Jesus said. But I tell you, I miss it here. And I can't, I don't even know how to put it into words. But I'm like, this is my family. And when I'm not here, I miss it. Look at verse 35. Jesus makes those who have faith in him the family of God. Look at verse 35. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. I need to explain something. We need to do a little bit of theology, a little bit of teaching about who God is. See, Jesus is God's son by his very nature. Now, what, why does that matter? Now, do you understand when you see somebody's child and you're like, I know whose child that is because they look like that person. You seen that? Or, or even if, you know, people, children have certain kind of manner, mannerisms. You're like, his mama does that. Like, it just, it just comes. Like, they, they just, they just, there's, there's a natural emulation that just comes, whether it's nature, nurture, whatever. You just, you look like, you act like your parents. When the Bible talks about Jesus, it says something like, he is the spitting image of his father. In Hebrews 1.3, it says, the son of God is the radiance of God's glory. The exact expression of his nature. So much so that, that one time Philip, one of his disciples, said, Jesus, you've been talking about this Godfather person. Like, can we just see him? Can we see him? Can you show us the Father? And, and Jesus says, have you not been with me long enough to know that when you have seen me, you have seen the Father? So Jesus is by nature God's son. But the Bible has a different story to tell about us. This teaches that we are actually estranged from God. According to Ephesians 2, it says that by nature, we are children of wrath. This is what it says in Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. It says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the, in the disobedient. Translation, the way you act, it don't look like God. That's what it's saying. You don't look the way you, what you be talking about, what you be doing. They don't look like what Jesus be doing. You must be part of another family. Jesus, the, Jesus ups it. He's, he, some people think Jesus only says nice stuff. Jesus says that if you do what the devil does, then the devil is your father. In John 8, 44, he says, he's talking to some people. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. And the reality is, is when, I, when I talk to people and when they're being very vulnerable, sometimes they feel that estrangement from God. They feel it. Is, is he really there? Does he really like me? Is he really here when I'm saying he's like, you feel it. It's something I don't have to convince you. You felt it before. It, I don't know, is he, I, I, they say he loves me, but I don't know if it's really there. But listen, what Jesus has done 
in his life, in his death, in his resurrection is meant to reconnect you to God as your father. God sent Jesus to reconnect us with himself. At the end of his life, Jesus is on a cross. Why is he on a cross? Listen, on the cross, Jesus is treated like a child of wrath, and Jesus is treated like the son of the devil. Listen, listen, our sins forfeited the protection and the favor of God. You understand? You ever, you ever, you ever heard somebody say, this is my house, my rules? Now, if you're in my house, you get some food. But if you start tripping, and you're not going to listen, you didn't just left your, you let yourself out my house. You're not under my roof anymore. You don't get my protection anymore. Listen, we're not outside of the Father's house because he didn't love us, but because we said we don't want to abide by your rules. Well, if that is the case, then we don't have that protection. But Jesus, when he is on that cross, is being treated like us. Like he said he didn't want that protection, but we know in reality that he is the spitting image of his father and did everything that the father wanted him to do. So why is he being treated like that? Because he is a substitute for us. Listen, we are exposed to the danger of spiritual evil and death. And Jesus took the consequences of our sin on the cross. He was attacked by spiritual evil and endured death in our place. And then he gives to us what is his by nature through substitution. Listen, if anybody got to inherit God's favor, protection, and love, it was Jesus Christ. And by faith in him, we get this assurance of God's love, his favor, and his protection instead of alienation. On the cross, what happens is there's this great exchange. We become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's a great exchange on the cross. We always, when you focus on the negative, he took our sin. But what you get, though, you get his righteousness. What you get, you get the favor of God. What you get, you get protection, assurance of his love. Now, Jesus said in the passage, he said that the ones who are in his family are those who do the will of God. Now, depending on how you take that verse, that can make you excited or nervous. Yeah? You'd be like, do I do the will of God? Am I his family? I don't know. But listen, there was one time when, when Jesus was directly asked by some people, what can we do to be doing the works of God? What can we do to do the will of God? And this is what he says in John 6. He says, he says this is the work of God that you believe in the one he has sent. If you believe and trust in Christ, we are doing God's will and are recipients of his blessings. We get to be in his family. Well, let's take, just take it quickly, a deeper look at this idea, the Bible's teaching about spiritual adoption. That through adopt, the adoption that is in Christ, we who are not by nature God's children become God's children. 
The Bible teaches that when we trust in Christ, that God is our father. What does that mean? That the creator and the sustainer of the universe loves you. Now, someone might love you but not have a lot of power to help you. And that's still nice that they love you. But the Bible is saying that the one who created everything and upholds it presently, that he is your father, that he loves you. Not only that, that he looks at us with favor and rejoices over us. Have you ever seen uh, uh, someone hold their newborn baby? That love and that joy. There's like a, there's like a, there's just this, this emotion. Listen, even if it's not your baby, you look at it, you're like, oh, I feel fuzzy on the inside. You know, like, like you feel that, right? Listen, that's how God feels when he looks at you. That he rejoices over you and loves you. And remember, he's all powerful. He will secure your future and has a glorious inheritance for you waiting in heaven. Beloved, because of what Jesus has done, God is our Father. And not only that, God makes us more like him. He gives us the family resemblance as we spend time with him. Yeah? As we spend time with our Father, he makes us, his adopted children, more and more like him. You might say, well, how do I spend time with him? I like to make it plain, right? We spend time with him through the means of grace. The means of grace are scripture, prayer, church, the stuff that you do, the, the, the religious stuff. That's us spending time with him. And as we spend time with him, he changes us so that we begin to look like Jesus Christ. And if we are adopted by God, and all have the same father, that means that we are family. That we are born again into a different family. Here's the craziest thing. I love my immediate family. But my immediate family is not eternal. But the family of God, that one is. Listen, listen, we love one another. In 1 John it says, dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. We bear each other's burdens. That's what a family does. Now let's make it real plain. One of the ways we demonstrate that we understand we're a part of God's family is that we love and appreciate the local church family that God has placed us in. A major evidence that God is your father is that you belong to a local expression of his family. Here's this great question. Somebody said, well, can you be a Christian without going to church? It's like, well, can you be a part of that family and never go to the family meal? It's like, well, kind of. I mean, but you, you don't act like it. You don't get any of the benefits of it. You're estranged. Listen. In, this, in a culture where churches feel like they're competing with one another about which one is the coolest, you need to hear this. It's not a loving thing to wish your family was a different family. So if you're married and you go to your wife and you're like, man, that, that girl over there, she's a lot cooler. I'm going to just go slide over there. They got them lights. You know what I'm saying? That creative kids ministry is balling. Okay. So I'm going to just slide. Listen, you can't say that to your family. 
Look at your kids. Listen, uh, Johnny. Uh, Sue over there, she be listening to people. You tripping. So bye, Johnny. Come on. Sue. No, you, don't, you, just, you can't do that to your family. It doesn't work like that. If the gauge of why you go to church is purely what it can give you, then that is not your family. See, listen, it's, it's loving to patiently resolve conflict and misunderstanding. You ever been in an argument with somebody in your family? The answer is never, not never talk to them again. It don't work, right? That's not helpful. It's not, it's not that you get mad and leave when someone offends you. Listen, if you can get mad and leave, that ain't your family. But rather you sacrifice for and serve your family. So when I think about serving in the church, I feel like people feel like, like the Holy Spirit has a sprinkle of pixie dust on them. And they just felt like, well, God told me to leave this flock. Listen, listen, y'all. Let's, let's just keep it 100. Families have chores, yes? Do families have chores? Okay, listen. When, I, when you first have a kid, when you have a bunch of little kids, you get a lot of work. And you have less capacity to do the chores because you're tired and you got more people making a mess, right? Now, as my kids are getting older, they're starting to do some chores. And I'm like, oh, really? He's unloading the dishwasher. Look at him. He's putting away his clothes. Now, listen, my kids don't always feel like doing chores. And, and I don't say, listen, listen, it's going to make you feel so special. Uh, if you put those clothes away, you're going to feel like butterflies in your tummy. And, and the, the Holy Spirit will descend upon you as a No, I say, listen, if you don't do it, I got to do it. That's the, is, it not, is that not how it is? If you don't do it, that means somebody else has to do it in this family. And that's not fair. Yeah? Is that not how we talk to our children? So, so, so here's the deal. We got some stuff to do. And you might not love running slides. You might not love giving out meals to Carolina High, but listen, if you don't do it, who's going to do it? And you don't love your family by saying, I don't do the chores. Yeah? If, if, that's, if that's how you operate, then you are a child, and not even old, an old one, like a baby. Okay? Let's just keep it 100. So, so we need some people to grow up. You need to do some chores. Not because it makes you feel fuzzy on the inside, but because you love your family. That's why. And not only that, you participate in the family business. Listen, our family got a business. Our business is loving and serving people in Jesus' name. That's our business. So, so listen, listen, when, when we, we do stuff, when we have the youth group and, and we're, we're talking to these students about Jesus, what are we doing? We're doing the family business. Let's get, let's be a part of the family. When we're going serving at the high school, what are we doing? We're doing the family business. When we're, when we're volunteering at, at His Turn Soccer and, and all, all these nonprofits, what are we doing? We're doing the family business. Listen, this family has an agenda that's set by Jesus. And if we're a part of that family, we are about that business too. Does that make sense? Now listen, we have to be thankful to, to God that we are in His family. And listen, it's not all work. 
You get loving time. You get to chill. When you, when you feel broke down, your family lifts you up. When you don't have what you need, your family helps you. Listen, we get to thank God that we're in his family. And how we thank him is through loving and serving his family, the church. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your mercy that you have adopted us, that, that, that we, we were estranged from you, but you made a family and you put us in it. Thank you, Lord, that your family is forever. That we have a father who, who never dies, who never will lose strength, who will never stop loving us, never stop protecting us. Lord, we praise you for that. Lord, would you help us to love and serve the family that you put us in? Would this church, would our church be a healthy, loving family that supports those who are going through hard times and that serves each other, not merely because of what we get out of it, but because we love each other. In Jesus' name.